Welcome to Fant Line with Marvin Fant. Today is Black Wall Street, Part 3, The Aftermath. You know, Richmond, Virginia was once, well, was also once the epicenter of black finance. What happened there explains the decline of black-owned banks across the country. St. Luke Penny Savings Bank in Richmond was one of the first black-owned banks in the United States. On April 3, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have Been to the Mountaintop speech in Memphis. In it, he urged African Americans to put their money in black-owned banks. It wasn't his most famous line, but the message was clear. We've got to strengthen black institutions. I call upon you to take your money out of the banks downtown and deposit your money in the Tri-State Bank. We want a banking movement in Memphis. We begin the process of building a greater economic base. Well, the next day, King was assassinated, and his hope of harnessing black wealth remains unfulfilled. Before integration, African Americans in cities like Richmond, Chicago, and Atlanta relied on black community banks, which were largely responsible for providing loans and boosting black businesses, churches, and neighborhoods. After desegregation, black wealth started to hemorrhage from, those, from these communities. White-owned banks were forced to open their doors to African Americans, and the money that once flowed into black banks and back out to black communities ended up on Wall Street and other banks farther away. We started to lose a lot of our businesses and support of our businesses, said Michael Grant, president of the National Bankers Association, a trade group representing, representing nearly 200 minority women on, excuse me, representing nearly 200 minority and women-owned banks across the United States. I got a little tongue twisted there. That was the toxic side of integration. The financial meltdown of 2007 wiped out 40% of African-American wealth in the United States, killing off many of these already struggling community banks. They were not 
part of the big Wall Street bailout, and you remember those, right? Wall Street bailed out all these big name um, banks, but not one, not one of these black owned banks got a bailout. Tri-State Bank in Memphis still exists, but it's among the few that survived. Only 25 black-owned banks remain in the United States, according to the latest data from the FDIC, compared to 45 a decade ago. And at their height, there were more than 100. The decline raises the question of whether these niche banks still have a place in modern America. The Jackson Ward neighborhood of Richmond, Virginia, dubbed the birthplace of black capitalism, at the turn of the 20th century was one of the most prosperous black communities in the United States with thriving theaters, stores, and medical practices. Richmond is where the first black banks opened, including one chartered to a former school teacher named Maggie Walker, the, the daughter of a freed slave. The St. Luke Penny Savings Bank, which Walker opened in 1903, made loans to qualified borrowers who were shunned by traditional banks such as black doctors, lawyers, and entrepreneurs. St. Luke's would eventually merge with other black banks and become Consolidate Bank and Trust. And by the end of the 20th century, the bank was the last black-owned bank in Richmond and was struggling to compete with much bigger banks downtown. It had several troubled loans on its books and couldn't raise enough capital to stay afloat. In 2005, a Washington, D.C.-based bank bought it. Then a West Virginia-based bank took over in 2011 and renamed it Premier Bank. The last bank of Black Wall Street was gone. Premier's president, Darrell Rick Winston, says he too wonders what role black banks will play in the future. He once reviewed loans at Premier Bank when it was still black-owned consolidated bank and trust. At one point, he says, the bank had 111 million in assets and seven branches. Winston, who was African-American, left for a consulting job in 2000 and returned to take over as regional president after the buyout. Two blocks away, Premier Bank remains in the same brick building as its predecessor. Much of the bank's staff is, is the same, and Winston says it's important to make sure his employees reflect the community they serve, even if it's no longer a black-owned institution. And that's in part because African-American borrowers still face immense bias in the banking and lending industry. He says it's more subtle and a black person goes into a mainstream bank and the loan officer might think of rejecting their application before it's even complete. Fantline will continue in a few. Okay, I'm back with Black Wall Street, part three. Racial bias in the uh, lending industry remains all too common despite legislation aimed at preventing it. In 1992, a landmark study from the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston examined 
4,500 mortgage loans, mortgage loan applications and discovered that black borrowers were twice as likely to get rejected for loans than white borrowers with similar credit histories. More recently, an economics professor at the University of Massachusetts found that banks in Boston and across the state of Massachusetts continued to reject black and Latino borrowers from home mortgages and at a much higher rate than whites. To determine just how pervasive the problem is, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has started sending undercover employees posing as potential home buyers to banks across the country. At one point, the federal watchdog agency sued Bancor South Bank in Mississippi for allegedly discriminating against black home buyers. In one scenario, it sent black and white employees to the bank to apply for a home loan. The black person who had better credit was allegedly steered toward a smaller loan with a higher interest rate. Bancor South settled the lawsuit for $10.6 million. In Richmond, Thomas Davis, who owns TK Davis Construction, said that he closed his accounts at SunTrust and now works solely with Premier Bank. He felt that the large corporate firm wasn't treating him like a priority. Despite his successful businesses, he recently took out a loan from Premier to renovate a historic church from one of his clients, for one of his clients. And he said it's a shame that the bank is no longer owned by an African-American, but it matters to him that most employees are black. It's important that they can look like you, can look you in the eye and understand the challenges you face as a diverse business. He said large banks aren't, aren't looking to make loans to us unless they are trying to meet a quota. And another premier client, Adam Harrell, credits the uh, bank with giving him loans to open his law firm, Harrell and Chambliss in downtown Richmond. He's been banking there for 34 years and was one of the attorneys that represented Consolidated Bank and Trust during the transition. Unfortunately, younger generations don't see the value in supporting black banks, probably because corporate banks have the latest technology and offer a wider range of services. But even so, black-owned banks have started seeing a surge in new accounts. Rapper Killer Mike urged African Americans to put some of their mon- put some of their money in black-owned banks, which spawned the Twitter hashtag hashtag Bank Black Bank Small Bank Local. The call to action reportedly boosted the client base of Citizens Trust Bank, the only black-owned bank left in Atlanta, which received 8,000 applications for new bank accounts in the days following the campaign. You know, and that, and that kind of strikes me. Here you have one bank, one bank left in Atlanta that is black-owned. Now, doesn't that seem strange to you, whereas you go to Atlanta and the majority of people you see are black, but yet it's just one, just one black-owned bank left 
in the city. In theory, there should be no need for black-owned banks in post-segregation America, since banks should treat all customers fairly. But the surge in demand for these services show just how far the country is from that theory. People, we still have a long way to go, but the difference now is that we're better informed, but our collective attitudes need to change, and it has to start now. Tomorrow, Black Wall Street, Part 4. Jealousy, Reparations, and Law Enforcement. Enough said. Welcome to Fant Line number 17 with Marvin Fant. Today's podcast is Fant Line Bible Quiz. And this is the quiz that was done this morning. And here are the results. Question number one. Who was Hagar's son? Her son was Ishmael, the ancestor of the modern Arabs. Throughout the life of Ishmael, and his name means wild horse. He did not follow the faith of his father, Abraham, but persecuted Isaac and eventually was dispatched from the camp of Abraham. Question number two. Who did Abraham marry after the death of Sarah? Abraham married Keturah, a woman who knew little about, who we know little about, excuse me, and some say that Keturah was actually Hagar who came to share the blessing and inheritance of Abraham. Question number three, who did Isaac marry? Abraham sent his trusted servant to Mesopotamia, the land between the Tigris and Euphrates River, which is now modern-day Iraq, to get a wife for his son, Abraham. Abraham wanted a woman from his tribe to marry his son Isaac. Her name was Rebekah, and she became the mother of Jacob and Esau. Okay, question number four. 
who is called the supplanter. That answer is Jacob. Jacob was a quiet man, working around the house, showed interest, and yet one who was a trickster. The Bible calls him the supplanter. Question number five. How many sons did Jacob have? How many sons did Jacob have? Jacob had 12 sons. These eventually became patriarchs and leaders in the nation. Question number six. What was the 10th plague? Question number six. What was the 10th plague? A death angel passed through the land and the firstborn of all the Egyptians and their cattle died. That was the 10th plague. Question number seven. Who went into the Holy of Holies? Who went into the Holy of Holies? Only the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, and only once a year, but unto the second part of the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in ignorance. Question number eight. How many things were in the Ark of the Covenant? Three things were in the Ark of the Covenant. Question number nine. What were the things in the Ark of the Covenant? What were the things in the Ark of the Covenant? You have the, there were, th- there, there were three things. So you have the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, a golden pot filled with manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. You can find that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. And tenth and last question. How long did the children of Israel search out the promised land? They searched out the promised land for 40 days, which is in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25.